So let's take uh, a time to pray now as we go into our, our next question for the summer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you very much that in your wisdom you have given us your words so that we can search out your will for us, that we can know what it means to live before you and how we should um, love one another, what we sh- how we should love you, how we should live in the church, how, sh- how we should live individually in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that today you would give us um, especially uh, a portion of your spirit to know your will for us uh, as we uh, deal with hard things in our lives and as we um, continue to try to um, seek after you and, and know you and uh, seek your face. We pray, Lord, that you would show us your face today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, the nice thing about summer is every week is a different, different question, so you never know what's coming. And this one is a really interesting question. Should I be fasting? Should I be fasting? Here's kind of the expansion of that question, maybe. Should I be fasting? The Bible seems to mention it a lot, but I don't know if this is a regular spiritual discipline or what even counts as fasting. When and how should it be done? All right, well, this is a great question. And why is this kind of a hard question? Anyone have any ideas why this is kind of hard? Okay, yeah, one thing is just by experience. Like if you, a lot of times what we do, what we count on, even though we think uh, that we're so smart and so we know so much and really when it comes down to it, the vast majority of what we do is based on what we've seen, right? It's our experiences and you don't see a lot of experience, we don't have a lot of experience seeing people fast and there's a number of reasons for that. We'll talk about some of the reasons for that. So one is just that we don't have experience. What else makes this a hard question? When, how, yeah. Okay, yeah, so fasting, if you do see fasting in popular culture, it usually has something to do with um, diet, um, more very physical as opposed to spiritual. What else? Just from a biblical point of view, why is this a hard question? Yeah, it has, it has aspects to it that do lend itself to legalism, which is why we're going to be talking. What, what we'll see in the Bible is that there are a number of places where the Lord warns us about that. Yeah, that's right. One of the most straightforward reasons it's difficult, where exactly in the Bible do we see um, a commandment to fast? Like when you think about the commandments of the Old Testament in, in the, the law, you look at the law and you think about the, all the things that God commanded. Where are there direct commandments to fast? Turns out there actually aren't any. After I looked at it, I was kind of surprised, but there actually aren't any direct commandments to fast in the Old Testament. What about in the New Testament? Are there any direct commandments about how to fast? They're about what when to fast, how to fast, what fasting is. No, there aren't any in the Old or New Testament. I mean, there really are no commandments. And yet at the same time, what we see is that the Bible really does say a lot about fasting. So let's take a little survey of fasting. 
Um, I'm going to break it down and especially we'll look at the Old Testament first. There are two major groups. There's uh, corporate fasting and then there's individual fasting. So let's look at corporate fasting. Here are some examples and and I just want to run through a couple of particulars uh, here by name and then we're going to read a couple of passages. First of all, the very first time fasting is really mentioned as far as corporate fasting is in the book of Judges. Um, This is after... Uh, there's a, a, well, I can't go into the whole story, but there's a, a, a war between Israel and Benjamin, and Israel has lost. And so they're pursuing the God, they're asking God for, you know, should we go into battle again? So after loss in battle against the tribe of Benjamin, and then there's fasting mentioned again corporately after the death of Saul, where the people of a whole town fasted at his death. And then there are a few times where there's protection from enemies. In 2 Chronicles 20, it's uh, Aram is coming against Israel. Uh, in the book of Esther, uh, we have Haman who has, uh, he's trying to destroy the Jews. And so these are times of fasting. Um, some other particular ones that we can read from 1 Samuel 7. Um, this is an early description of fasting. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Asherah from and served the Lord alone. When Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. So this is a time where they are under the oppression of the Philistines and they're coming together under uh, a new spiritual leader, Samuel. This is the beginning of Samuel's ministry, public ministry. And he calls them all and they fast and they are repenting. And then they're uh, in Ezra. Um, This is after the exile. So these are the people who are in exile in Babylon and Ezra is bringing a group of them back. And Ezra says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter and he listened to our entreaty. And then we have even some uh, where we see that this is not just something of Israel, right? So really interestingly, again, this is not really the law of Israel, we see that this happens whenever Jonah goes and proclaims that God is going to destroy the city of Nineveh, the most powerful city in the world. The king of Nineveh was king of the the known world at that time, right? I mean, it's a huge, impenetrable city, uh, impossible to destroy. And um, it had uh, destroyed all the neighboring countries around it or brought them under subjection. Um, Israel uh, and Judah had suffered because of Nineveh. And so Jonah goes there and he preaches against them. And here's what happens. Then the people of Nineveh Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. 
And so we see this not only in Israel, but in neighboring countries, and not only corporately, but we also see individual fasting. So there are individuals who fast at various points. And the very first, this is the first time fasting is mentioned at all in the Bible. This is in Exodus 34, 12, where it says that Moses was on the mountain on Mount Sinai, where he was receiving and carving out the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. And during that time, he spent 40 days and nights without eating. And then there's uh, the time of David's sin. David's sin with Bathsheba. His um, son is dying, and so he seeks the Lord with fasting. And then there's uh, the time of, the uh, again, at the time of the exile. So when the, the people, have, what has happened is that Israel, it, all its walls have been destroyed, the temples burned down. At this point, they had gone back and they had rebuilt uh, a new temple, but the walls were in disrepair, so the city was still in disgrace. And so Nehemiah, over the disrepair of the walls that he heard, everything he had heard about coming out of Jerusalem, he was um, greatly disturbed by that. And so he fasted, okay? And so we, we see individual fasting like this. Uh, again, not, not only those who are, would be considered godly, but those who are not godly, right? Uh, here's Ahab. So Ahab had just used a false fast. It's really interesting. He just used a false fast to, to trick uh, Naboth into getting his land. He ended up killing Naboth because what he did was he, he called a fast so evidently, this is something that was being done. It was accepted that the king would call a fast and the leading men would come together. Then once they came together, he falsely accused this man and had him killed so that he could take his land. So that's kind of the situation that he used this false fast. But then after uh, he was rebuked by Elijah, this is his response. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Okay, so this is kind of a survey we see through the Old Testament that it was, it, it's a common practice, right? So for summary, so what we have to understand then is although God hasn't commanded it explicitly, like you don't see these explicit commands, here's how you fast, here's when you fast, he, he ha yet the people did, did fast. And pretty, not, not only individually, but corporately, they did it in all sorts of different situations. So why is that? Where, why is fasting something that is part of our life. Well, let's look at the place of fasting in life. And to understand that, you really have to understand kind of the whole role, the bigger role of what, um, what eating uh, particularly has to do with our life. It, and we see it kind of in what I'd call three different places. We have three different places in life and the way we interact with food. There's fasting, Okay, so that's what we're talking about today, but you're not going to understand fasting unless you understand the role of food in, uh, I'm not going to get this thing working, but the role of uh, food in feasting, this is another time, and then we have what I'll call just our regular life, which is a li our life of working, the things that we're, we're doing, but there are, that's, that's the big part of our life. But there are these other times which are fasting and feasting, and they have a very important role in 
our lives. Let's look at some of these, some broader teaching of the Bible in here. Maybe. I think my battery is done. There it is. Okay. So this is, this is a, a teaching of Jesus now. When John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they came and said to Jesus, they said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So there is, uh, there is a role. The reason that even those, even the Ninevites fasted, even though they didn't know God, even we see Ahab who responded, even though he wasn't godly, he responded in this, there is a natural inborn way that God has made us that we see. Now, what happens, uh, you know, many of us have gone through times of real intense mourning. You know, if someone really close to you has died or other things that have occurred in your life, what do you know about yourself at that point? I mean, as far as eating goes, you're just going to go out and eat, eat a whole, no, I mean, you just have no appetite, right? Your appetite leaves you. Why is that? It's because our bodies and our spirits, we are one person, right? We are one person. And your spirit and your body are not separate. They respond together. So what I want you to think about fasting is it's the same reason that we kneel. Why do we kneel when we pray? That's one of our habits here. Why do we kneel when we pray? Well, it's because it is a reflection. It's so that our body and our spirit match each other. Now, does that mean that the kneeling in and of itself makes our prayer acceptable to God? No, it's not that the kneeling, the physical thing, does something that causes that prayer to be acceptable. And it's also not that we have to, in our spirits, we have to work both ways, right? Our physical and our spirit have to work both ways. Sometimes our spirits aren't in the right place to pray. And so what do we do? We kneel because it's right in order to put our bodies into a place where we can pray. But sometimes what happens? When you've really hit the end with your spirit, and you don't have anything left, where do you, what do you do? There are some times when you just kneel, right? I mean, you're down. You can't do anything else. That's because your spirit and your body are together. And when you're in mourning, what happens? You can't eat. It is the natural response of a spirit and a body together. And on the other hand, what happens in times of joy? In times of true joy, what do we do? We dance and eat, right? I mean, that's the kinds of stuff that we do. That is how we respond because that is spiritually and physically who we are. Physical human beings in times of feast enjoy food together because it's a blessing of God. And so this is Jesus' teaching here. You know, there are times, thank you, there are times whenever we have um, both of these things happening and both of them are good because right now we live in the already and the not yet. We live in this time where Jesus Christ has already come. And so because he's already come, we live in a time of joy. And so we have feasting. But you know what else we have? We live in a time where Jesus Christ has not yet come. Not yet come in his completion. And so we also live in a time of mourning. 
And Jesus taught this, and this is really taught throughout the entire Bible. When you look at, um, well, maybe just if you could just advance it for me. So in Ecclesiastes, this is uh, wisdom. Wisdom says, blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. And this is where I think this is great to talk about what Pastor Baker talked about last week, right? I mean, the, the reason that we can drink alcohol but not smoke pot is because alcohol has its place. And one of its places is in joy, in feasting. It's not in its, it's not for uh, avoiding what we should be doing or it's not for avoiding sorrow, right? And, but that's what pot is for, right? I mean, what it's for is dissipation, it's for waste. So we ha- what we have is that we know that food is good. It's good for something, but it can be misused because when we feast, when we're not supposed to feast, that's wrong because there is a time for eating food for strength. That's what I'll call just our working. That's, our, that's most of the time. Could you advance that, the next one? I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. So we live in a life where most of the time what we see is that the gift of God, what God does is he rewards labor with good food and we enjoy life. Go ahead. But then there are other times where it's, uh, could you advance it? Then there are other times where we see that it's also potentially wrong to be fasting. So this happens at the time where um, Saul, King Saul has been chasing his enemies and what he does is make a rash oath and he commands the people, nobody eat until I have vengeance on my enemies and we're gonna chase everyone down. And uh, Jonathan, however, his son finds, he didn't hear this, uh, and so he went and he just, he ate during this time. And one of the people said to him, your father strictly put the people under oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of, of their enemies which they found. You know, they're, they're, in other words, the whole point of this, if you could advance one more, the whole point of this is there is time for fasting and there's time for feasting. There's time for um, the, the place where we are in our just normal work period where we're neither fasting or feasting. And even in times of fasting, we, we don't idealize fasting as the highest spirituality and we don't idealize feasting as the highest ideal, highest ideal of spirituality here in this life because there's a time for all things right now. We see that even in great um, difficulty. So now here's the passage where because of his sin, the Lord is judging David and saying, um, your son will die. And so he's appealing to him because he says, who knows, if I, I'm gonna fast before the Lord, I'm gonna humble myself and maybe the Lord will respond. Then his servants, so this is at the point where he knows that his son has, has died. Um, then a ser- and so he has gotten up, he has gone into worship, and now he's starting to eat. And his servants said to him, what is this thing you've done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. 
but now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And so he knew there is a time for fasting and there's a time to end fasting. There's a time for feasting and there's a time to end feasting. And we are just, we live in a decadent age. And so because we have no self-control and because we have so much gluttony and feasting, we just have total, everything is messed up on this whole spectrum, right? Because we don't have all of these things in our place. But we know, we live in hope knowing that there is an end of fasting because we, fasting is not the final purpose here. Could you advance the next one? Oh, actually, yeah. So thus says the Lord of hosts when he's speaking to those who are in exile. They fasted four times. And according to Matthew Henry, who I trust, but I don't have any source for this. But what he said is these four times that they fasted were in remembrance of the exile, the time, various important points of the exile, like when their king was killed is the anniversary of when their king was killed, the anniversary of when the temple was burned, the anniversary of when the wall was penetrated. Um, I don't remember the fourth one, but there were four particular times. And the Lord affirms these, right? The assumption here is that they were, even though God didn't command this, he didn't say, okay, I want you to fast on these days. This was the response of a godly heart, right? The response of the godly heart was to mourn over these things. And, but this is what the Lord says. Um, as now they're in the middle of building the temple back, as they're now restoring these things, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast on the fourth, the fast on the fifth, the fast on the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. And this is the Christian life, right? The Christian life says, now there is time for fasting for a variety of reasons that we'll look at, but we look to the feast because that is the high ideal, right? Whenever we are finally in heaven, brought into the presence of the Lord, what is what happens at that point? We symbolize it here by a wedding feast, right? That's what we see here. So that's the way we know what will happen. But the reality is even greater than the wedding feast. But the reality is the celebration of a consummation of everything hoped for and life together with Christ forever. And there will be a feast at that point. But right now is a time for fasting. All right, uh, next one. So true fasting. Now, the Bible also talks a lot about true fasting versus false fasting. Um, the, the true fasting, ultimately what the true fasting is, again, is an outward act of an inward reality. That's why we see with fasting, it's something that is universally recognized. Anytime you see things that just um, people who are not Christians, people who are not Jews, naturally do in godly responses. The reason they do that is because that's how they were built. It's part of God's natural law, right? When we fell into sin, the natural response of us at certain times is a life of fasting. And so that's the outward act of an inward reality. But what that also means is that that can be hypocrisy. Okay, can I have the next one? So let's look at a couple of cases. So here's a natural, this is a natural God, godly response, again, of Ezra. Then Ezra rose from before the house of God and went into the, into the chamber, chambers of Jehoahan, the son of Elishaba. And although he went there, he did not eat bread or drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. So 
does this say he was, you know, is this, did he say, hey, I'm going to declare a fast? No, what this is, is if this is a fast, right? And why is that? Because in his heart, he was mourning over the exile. Now, in contrast to that, if you look at Matthew, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, right? Do you see, see the opposite thing that's happening here? Right? What happened in Ezra's case was that he had a gloomy heart and what comes out of that is a fast. But in this case, what Jesus says, don't put on a gloomy face. Don't put on a gloomy face like the hypocrites do for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the, these, um, this work uh, that comes out of the heart is not one where we put on a false gloomy face. Now, what does that mean? Do we need to um, always, do we need to kind of naturally get to this place where we're so low in order to fast? No, it's really a recognition, the same reason we kneel when we pray. It's because doing things with our body can help put us into the right spirit. So we don't have to be perfect in our spirit before our body follows. But on the other hand, we don't falsely put things on our body that are not true of our spirit. So in our hearts, we know that we need to be humbled before the Lord. We know that we need to, in certain times, be saddened for various reasons. What we can do, we can fast so that that will help our spirit to continue to grow spiritually that way. And that's, that's how fasting can work for us. Um, an, another case where we have false fasting. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? And that we can see as, as understanding, okay, well, that's, that's hypocrisy. But notice the next sentence. The next sentence is penetrating. When you eat and drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? And do you, do you not eat for yourselves? And do you not drink for yourselves? Because the reality is, the problem is really not with our fasting, right? I mean, the problem is much bigger than that. The reason we don't fast for the Lord, if, that's, if we're not really fasting for the Lord, the reason we don't fast for the Lord is because we also don't eat for the Lord. What's the commandment in the book of Colossians? The apostle Paul tells us, whatever you eat or drink, you know, whatever you do, what you eat and drink, do for the Lord. And that is, again, the whole life of the Christian, fasting, working, and feasting, all of it is for the Lord. If you feast for yourself, that's drunkenness. If you fast for yourself, that is hypocrisy. But what about the rest of your life? Is the rest of your life free for yourself? No, the rest of your life is not for yourself either. Whatever you eat and drink, it's for the Lord. So whether it's fasting, feasting, working, all of it is for the Lord. And that's what the Lord commands. In those days... I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were complete. 
And this is one of the, re- one of the reasons why God doesn't prescribe exactly, you know, when, when the question was kind of like, okay, how do you fast? What do I need to do to fast? Like, what's, do I not eat? Do I not drink? God doesn't give that because there are actually many ways to fast. The fasting that comes out of us, though, is a reflection of the reality of this. So notice what happens to Daniel. Daniel is mourning because he is in exile, and for three weeks, what did he do? Well, what he did was a fast. Now, what did his fast look like? Well, what his fast was was a humbling of himself because it wasn't that he didn't eat anything. You know, he might have gone on like the rice and beans diet, right? But he didn't eat anything he wanted because he wasn't, he wasn't serving himself at this time. He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't eating tasty things. He wasn't eating things that were, um, you know, more the kinds of things associated with feasting, right? Like meat and wine. He wasn't doing that. And he wasn't caring for his outer self either. I mean, isn't he breaking what Jesus just said? Shouldn't, shouldn't he have anointed himself with oil and look at, no, right? You know Jesus' point. His point there is that we have to guard what we're trying to look like. But with Daniel, his life was one where his countenance was down. His whole appearance was down. He, had, he understood that he was in a time of fasting. Why? Because of the mourning of his spirit. And in the morning of his spirit, he lived outside in his physical body, the reality of that. So what should you do to fast? Well, let's think about the purpose. Because if you understand the purpose of fasting, that will help you as you go into fasting yourself. Here are the purposes, the biblical purposes that we've run through. Number one is mourning and repentance. Those things usually go together, right? So in sadness... Uh, particularly sadness over our sin, which results in repentance. And this is, this is a physical outworking of the reality of, of uh, a repentance. That's why, so I said in the law, God doesn't particularly command us to, uh, to fast, right? Or the, he didn't command the Jews, I should say, in the, in, the, um, in the law of the Old Testament. He didn't command them that. But what he did command them, they apparently fasted on the Day of Atonement. Why was that? It was because the commandment of the Day of Atonement was, on this day, humble yourself. And so what did they do? They, they fasted because that was the expression of how they humbled themselves, right? And, and this is a blessing that God has given us this, to be able to express it this way. Because if I just tell you, you know, if God commands you, humble yourself, and you just say, okay, I'm humble, Right? I mean, what are you doing there? Well, what you're doing, you're physically able to humble yourself because you're taking yourself down from where you were. Right? You have now gone into a place where you are seeking the Lord. And that's another one. Even if it's not for sin, sometimes it's that simply that we're seeking an answer from the Lord. We're asking him for a request. And so what that means is that in fasting, we declare our dependence on him because we're seeking the Lord and not other things. What did Jesus command us? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added. And this is a way through fasting that we actually say, I'm not seeking all that other stuff. I'm seeking the Lord. Or it's in preparation for ministry. So this is another common way that we see this. Um, In the next slide, we see a couple of times that fasting is mentioned in the New Testament. 
Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, so this is, this is an extended period of time, right? They, if it just had said something like, well, oh, we received the word, and so now they laid their hands on them, you would, see, you would think, well, okay, that could be boom, boom, but that wasn't how it worked, right? They received this word from the Lord, then they fasted, so it had some period of time that went by where they humbled themselves before the Lord, even having received this message. Having ministered before the Lord, they were able to hear the Lord, and uh, ministering to him in fasting, they heard from him more clearly, and they, they received this. And then they went out in preparation. And then in the next one, um, this seemed to be something common, too. This wasn't just for a special revelation, but this was also for revelation of elders in the churches. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, so as they went through and, and Paul was going through and sending, setting elders in the church, Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so this is preparation for ministry. This is seeking the Lord. What we, what we see, if you look at how the early Christians, the first couple of centuries, when you read the things that they did, the way that they, the times they fasted particularly, the, what they, in, in the, the handbook of Christian life, the earliest one that we have from the second century, gave a few basics about fasting. The kind of people should fast when they're seeking a vision from the Lord, right? When they're seeking something from the Lord to, to know him, to understand him, they should fast. When they're preparing for baptism. Now, baptism at that point was a, a pretty big step because you could be killed, right? So baptism was something that took a lot longer, and I, I don't think that that's a normative practice, but at that time, I think it was a wise practice. And so they prepared for about a year and they tended to get baptized on special day or you know, they had something set for that day. And so the person who was getting baptized and the minister who was baptizing them were to fast. And then they were also to fast, um, uh, of course, in cases of, of sin and in cases of um, uh, dedication to the Lord. So the same kinds of things that we see biblically, those things were played out particularly. Um, okay, and the next slide. So what kind of uh, encouragement do we have for fasting? So here, you know, here again is our life. Our life is one of feasting. Our life is one uh, which is appropriate. So when you hear something like this, uh, you know, some kind of teaching on fasting, what's your natural response? You know, it could be something like, oh man, I haven't been fasting, so that's like the best thing to do, so now I'm going to go into this fasting and I'm going to have, but that's not the point. The point is fasting has its place along with the normal work of life, along with feasting. And that is corporate and that is individual. So there are times where it's appropriate as a whole body to seek the Lord in particular ways. Um, but there are also times where it's important for an individual. So there aren't very direct commands about how to do this. You might be at a stage in your life where you're particularly preparing for ministry or you're particularly doing uh, uh, works of, of mercy or a time where you really need repentance. You know, there could be many of those things. So what is our encouragement to fasting? Go ahead, the next one. 
Well, so here's, here's something just as a psalm, right? The psalmist, if you ever need encouragement, the psalmist is a great place to go because what the psalmist does, you can, you can use their, his prayer as your own and say things like, I am afflicted and needy and my heart is wounded within me. My knees are weak from fasting and my flesh has grown lean without fatness. Help me, O Lord my God, save me according to your loving kindness. You know, is this where your heart is right now? If this is where your heart is right now, I would encourage you to fast and seek the Lord because that, that way your body and your soul, spirit working together um, in, in seeking after the Lord because that is the response of those who are contrite in heart, whether of their own sin, whether of the sin of others, um, to come to the Lord because why? We're seeking the Lord. And what do we expect having sought the Lord? Is fasting the end of itself? No. What is the purpose of fasting? To seek the Lord so that we hear his answer. Because he does answer. That's what we're doing. If, if fasting becomes the thing that you're focused on, then it's no longer fasting. What's the thing you're focused on? It's to hear the word of the Lord, to receive from the Lord, and we know that he will because prayer and fasting go together. Fasting in particular, prayer all the time, and fasting and prayer in particular times. But we, I also have um, an exhortation if you might be in a stage where you don't really want to fast, but you need to be fasting because the Lord, this is the only place I could find where the Lord commanded a fast very particularly. And he calls this out to, in, through the prophet Joel. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent. So where are you in your stage of life right now? I mean, are you in a place where you really are opposed to the Lord? Where you do not desire the things of the Lord? Where really you desire your own way and where you see your feet wandering? The call goes out to you. The Lord is gracious because he calls and he tells you what to do. Come back, come back. Repent with fasting and mourning but don't just tear your outer garments. I don't care about your garments. I don't care about the outward stuff. Rend your hearts, not your garments. And do it in actual humility because we fast so that we hear the Lord with expectation. We expect that we'll hear him because we have that hope. But we don't presume upon it because you've probably seen this phrase and I haven't pointed it out yet because I wanted to save it till now, but notice how many times when somebody's fasting and praying, they say something like this. Who knows whether he might return and relent? That is a humble heart. A humble heart doesn't have any uh, feeling that, well, if I fast, that's gonna make God answer my prayer. What the humble heart says is, I'm going to humble myself because who knows? I'm not gonna presume on the Lord. And if that's where you are right now because you've been wandering from the Lord and you just take for granted the fact, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be fine later on. I, you know, it's, I, yeah, I'm sure I'm kind of doing my own thing right now, but, you know, I'll be fine. Do not presume upon the Lord. 
the Lord is calling you to fast so that you would turn from your wicked ways and seek the Lord. Because who knows, maybe, maybe he'll relent. But we do have a good father. We have a good father. And he is, he loves to show mercy. So turn. Now, Now is a time of fasting. But it's also a time of feasting. And it's a time of work. And so use the biblical wisdom that God gives us in this overall passage, not to, not to have um, uh, an external fasting, but an internal fasting. Let's pray to the Lord to help us with that. Our Father, we pray that you would please help us to know, to know you. And I thank you very much that you have given us um, physical bodies so that in both body and soul, with heart and soul and mind and all of our strength, we can seek you. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we seek you in fasting and that we would come to know you, that you would hear our prayers. We, you, you have said that you would hear our prayers if we turn to you. And so we do ask that, please, Lord, that you would hear us and that you would prepare us for the works of mercy that you desire for us to do, that you would prepare us for, um, for life together, that you would forgive us, Lord, and that, our, you, that we would be able to throw our lives completely to you so that Um, In hope, we believe that you will turn our fasting into feasting and our mourning into joy. But Lord, we pray now that you would help us in this time of fasting. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.